I'm playing Super Mario Odyssey on the Switch, which is you, you have a Switch. Yeah, I got a Switch. Oh, that's I got fancy. The kind with the the red and the blue Joy Cons, which I was like, that's that's pretty ostentatious for me, you know. But uh, not the neon one. No, uh, no, uh, that came out later. Okay, so you're playing Super Mario Odyssey. Okay, do you know the plot of this is that, well, it's Mario, but you have a hat that can capture, in quotes, right, uh, various things in the environment, many of them sentient. Uh, <laughs> so basically you possess them, right? Okay. You possess these Goombas or these stretchy caterpillars and you get their powers and that allows you to do other things, right? And it's all in service of collecting moons to power your ship. And sure. you're going to see a Princess Peach from Bowser, who looks very dapper uh, <laughs> in a white white tuxedo that he's going to get married in. Nice. Um, but it's all it's all a little weird that you're going around possessing these things, all right? And at one point, you get to New Donk City. Uh, yeah, New, and New you, Donk City, and you, you like Donkey Kong, um, <laughs> and you possess a human who Mario apparently is not one of, right? Not that is not his race, apparently, <laughs> a regular human, and you you do it so that you can race RC cars. <laughs> so. Why Why would you need to inhabit somebody's body to race RC cars? And isn't that pretty far from your main objective of saving Princess Peach when you get down to it? That you're like, yep, yeah, I'm just going to corporally pull myself into that body. Who do you race against? Uh, Captain Toad. <laughs> no, I mean, I don't know. It doesn't matter. Super okay, Super Mario it. Odyssey. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it's time. Time for a thrilling story of romance. Adventure. Mystery. Anything with an expired copyright. It's time for another Interrupted Tale. Hello and welcome, everyone, to another episode of Interrupted Tales, the show where my friend and I take turns reading stories to you, the listener, while the other person constantly interrupts. As not always, I am Alan, and this is my friend Rob. Hello, Alan. Very uncomfortable right now, Rob. I am too. Uh, well, this week... We have from the novel Teenage Super Science Stories by Richard M. Elam Jr., 1957, a story entitled Mystery Eyes Over Earth. Ooh, sounds intriguing. It's time to curl up in your favorite chair and grab a drink while I read you this week's tale.
Dr. Myron Lowenthal, gaunt, keen-eyed, and 60, shuffled over to the receptionist's desk in an office in the Pentagon. Clutched tightly beneath one spidery arm was a worn briefcase. Filled with spiders, naturally. That's what you would put in it, yep. May I see, Mr. Goodnight, Miss, Dr. Lowenthal asked. Who shall I say is calling, sir? The young woman asked mechanically, not looking up. Lowenthal. The young woman's eyes lighted alertly, as if the name were of great significance to her. Dr. Albert Lowenthal, heir to the Charleston Chew fortune? Of course, Dr. Lowenthal. Mr. Goodnight is expecting you. Go right in. At the sight of Dr. Lowenthal and his briefcase, Mr. Goodnight rose slowly to his feet, his face reflecting deep interest not unmixed with apprehension. You, you have finished the translation, he asked. Why, yes. Now Fifty Shades of Grey can finally be read in Esperanto. I look forward to the William Shatner movie version of that. (laughs) Dr. Lowenthal placed the briefcase on the desk, and Goodnight's fingers were far from steady as he opened the case and pulled out top-secret manuscripts. Finally, the location of the honeycomb hideout, hideout will be mine. Mine! First, he laid aside the sheaf of strange, charred papers, each protected by a cellophane envelope. The sheets were a very tiny, amazingly tough material of unknown substance, and they were covered with tiny, neat hieroglyphics. The papers had been found by a farm boy 12 months before in Wickenburg, Arizona, and Dr. Lowenthal, archaeologist and cryptographer, had been all this time trying to decipher the hidden message. Be sure to drink your Ovaltine, a crummy commercial. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a disappointment. Before reading the translation, Goodnight asked, Is it your belief that this sheaf of papers was dropped from a flying saucer, as we first thought? Wait a minute. Dropped? Like someone left the door of the flying saucer open or something? I think when they, when the beam picks up the sheep, then just like stuff just it flies out. I mean, it's like a fan is blowing. It's, it's a mess. Undoubtedly, Lowenthal replied. Is it good or bad? Goodnight asked tremulously. Well, I've read better erotic werewolf slash fiction, but not much better. Perhaps you had better read it, sir, and judge for yourself. Mr. Goodnight began reading the manuscript translation. Dear Penthouse, I never thought the stories you printed were true, but I'm a young college student from Rigel 7, and um, perhaps I should save the rest. It it gets a bit randy. From Cal Pota Tecala, Observer 13, J07, Group 507, to Grand Council, Federation of the Triple Suns, Planet Yaka, Takarala Sector, GZ 507076, Milky Way Galaxy. Wait, wait, wait. So all the names are super alien except they completely buy into the whole Milky Way Galaxy thing? You've never uh, been to Planet Yaka? <laughs> I, mean, I, I mean, get a passport, man. Live a little. Subject. 
Planets of Sun 00836Y, specifically 3rd Takarala Sector GZ5077. Ooh, that's not a sector you want to be in after the sun goes down. Planet called Earth. Charon year 737811. Yes. 37,000 years after our lord and savior, savior Chara first hatched from his egg and devoured his mother. It is now my tenth year of observation in the planetary group called the Solar System. In this brief report, I shall review somewhat randomly a few of the things I have witnessed on Earth, only planet of intelligent life in this system, and therefore the only world of interest to us in the Federation. Boom! Take that, Venus! You're basic! I arrived in the Earth year 1947. What a youthful civilization this is, but about average in their development as compared to some 28,000 other worlds the Federation has so far observed. I pride myself on being the first among us, Group 507, to be detected by Earthmen in recent times. Wait, wait, wait. He prides himself on having been detected? Uh, this sounds like a race that's not very good at hide-and-seek. I pride myself on my ability to be it next. <laughs> this was, of course, the sighting by one Kenneth Arnold near Mount Rainier in America, the most advanced country of Earth. USA! 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 Stars and stripes forever, <laughs> reads my impartial report. Our receivers picked up the newscast of the sighting and translated. Arnold's description of having seen what looked like saucers led to our craft being thereafter named Flying Saucers. Um, um actually, um, if I can interrupt, um, Mr. Arnold reported that a cigar-shaped craft flew like a saucer skipping across water, and it was misinterpreted by the press as being saucer-shaped. I mean, I, I expect better accuracy from teenage super science stories, my good sirs. Let it go, dude. Soon after this sighting, our receivers told us that nearly all the nations of Earth had taken up the cry of saucers. Saucers. Indeed, the men of Earth must truly have been overwhelmed by the abundance of our craft in the sky at this time, when our greatest concentration of observers viewed the planet. Why, it has been said that one couldn't swing one's dead cat without hitting a flying saucer in 1947. It is hard to realize that many Earth inhabitants still doubt that there are other planets of habitation beside their own in the universe. This is an opinion formed from reports of news commentators. Well, fake news, am I right? When will the lamestream media learn? Yet how they can close their minds to such a fact when they know that there are many billions of suns and planets is beyond my comprehension. Of course, Earth has been an island to itself since the beginning of its civilization, and since they have not yet even ventured into space... I can understand their skepticism somewhat. You see? You see? Your stupid minds. Stupid! Stupid! <laughs> Incidentally, the skepticism of Earthmen is remarkable. Yes, even the evidence of our heavy concentration of craft in their skies for ten years at our latest visit, many even now doubt our reality. 
This is in spite of our near collisions with Earthcraft, reported by reputable witnesses, especially the Charles Witted episode near Montgomery, Alabama, United States of America. Worst episode ever. Yet those who do believe in us are very staunch supporters. And I have heard newscasters say that there have been some convincing books written on the subject. Someday, when we make contact, all must surely believe. Well, yeah, that's kind of the point of making contact, right? I, yes. (laughs) You're right. (laughs) Earth is a planet of many races and different political groups. Although an effort is being made for cooperation through the organization called United Nations, not to be confused with United States, there is no real enforceable unity among the countries of Earth. The less said about the League of Nations, the better. The planet has not even advanced to the point of a common tongue. Without being able to speak the same language, there is too much opportunity for misunderstanding. And this must be one of the causes of the deplorable bloodshed this planet has gone through in its history. Well, that's in gold. And land. And religion. And salt. And, well, it's a rather long list, to be honest. (laughs) It is good to know that democracy presently seems to hold the balance of power on Earth. The world leader, America... Remember when I rooted for them earlier? Yes, yes. (laughs) Has been a champion of democracy since its colonization by Europeans. And perhaps it has saved Earth from total disaster by intervention on two occasions in recent years. The first was what they call World War II. The second was when they invented Reese's Pieces. Galactic conflict is totally, totally abated there. There is one major threat to the democratic life of Earth. This is the nation of Russia, located in the Eurasian uh, area. CCCP, 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 come on! It doesn't roll off the tongue. (laughs) Its leaders have taken to the archaic system of totalitarianism. But at present time, the democracies are so strong that Russia appears hesitant to take the path of conquest. Besides this, I believe all realize that Earth cannot stand another world war because of the frightful nuclear weapons that would be used. In such a war, there would be no victor, only losers and world destruction. It would, however, open a lot of area for space condo development, so we've got that to look forward to. You've got a fallout side view in this one. (laughs) If Earth avoids the pitfall of major warfare, I believe she is on the threshold of great things. Even now, she is launching satellites into space in the first step towards space travel. The aircraft of Earth are attaining greater speed, height, and maneuverability. They are still slow and awkward, of course, compared to the craft we have, but the engineers are learning, even as we had to thousands of years ago. They recently sent a monkey into space, who I've adopted and named Gleek. I've found he's very good at carrying buckets of water. Yes. He's really good at that. (laughs) Since Earthmen have not gone into space, there has been no experimentation on craft utilizing force fields. 
but after observing our craft for the past ten years, I am sure the scientists have come up with some theories as to how we get about. Most of these theories involve reversing the polarity of things, idiots. I've got this great duck that just bobs up and down, and (laughs) there must be a way to turn it into an engine. It keeps going. They are baffled by emotions that seem to defy the laws of physics. They report that no living person can withstand the abrupt turns and acceleration of which we are capable. When they have utilized the cosmic rays of space and understand that a force field will permit a flyer to spin and soar with his craft without distress of any kind, then they will have unlocked the key to what they believe to be a dark mystery. Ah, yes. Once we've discovered space magic, we should be made in the shade, baby. I love how he is telling uh, everybody that already knows how to travel in space (laughs) what the process of learning that would be like and being like, yeah, it would be awesome when they know how to do what we know. You know what we're talking about, right? (laughs) Because we know how to do that. He just wants to be on the same space page. Their attempts to overtake us in their jet craft have been laughable. It's less of a ha-ha funny and more of a look-at-these-pathetic-morons funny. I often wonder what they would do if we should suddenly stop and dare them to approach closer. (laughs) Maybe if we flipped over our flying saucers (laughs) while we were right on top of their jets. And, you know. What kind of hand gesture would you make? I don't know, Goose. Should they fire on us? It would undoubtedly fill them with fear and dismay to see their shots bounce harmlessly off our force field. It is my opinion that the more prosperous races of the planet are not the leaders that they could be. Oh, great. This is the part where Space Grandpa tells us about how much better things were back in his day. There is so much frivolity and lack of emotional discipline about them, and few seem to employ their fullest mental capabilities. Their radio and picture radio are entirely in the realm of entertainment, and formal education seems to be largely abandoned after an Earthman has passed his school years. There is a university system, but it appears its greatest achievements have been the development of both nuclear technology and flip cup. (laughs) Our receivers constantly pick up day in and day out music of definite rhythms, which seem to be enjoying current popularity. These melodies survive for only a few weeks. The new ones take their place and are, in turn, played to their deaths. I I have discovered a new technology through this music, however. You see, they have this thing, and it's called Radar Love. (laughs) There is a noble class of music that is heard less frequently, and usually at late hours. Holy, is this a... Is this, yeah. this like a jazz diatribe? Have we gotten like four, four pages into an alien talking about how jazz is all about the notes you don't play? Oh, oh, oh no, it's worse. Keep going. This never seems to lose popularity for some of our recorded pickups of these long compositions have been recorded uh, compared with recordings made some 200 years ago by our prior observers. And they are identical. We don't want your classical music, old man. We want our MTV. Shut up. Shut up and get 
Baroque with Bach and <laughs> get hooked on Bach, young ones. Regarding the subject of frivolity, there was deadly game being played unceasingly across the pathways of Earth, particularly in prosperous America. Although not really a game, of course, I am reminded of one as I see it going on. Each player is in control of a free vehicle, or guided missile as I think of it, and he attempts to survive by avoiding collision with another player. I believe the natives call it Frogger. Some are indifferent to the game and drive their cars unexcitedly and with caution. Other players, and there are many of them, appear to enjoy the game very much and drive their weapons with reckless haste and seeming indifference to their own safety and the safety of others. Please read my spec script, Death Race 2000. <laughs> 3000, I've included please. it uh, in a uh, postmarked envelope uh, dated as of this date, so you know the copyright is mine. Many of these players lose the game, and their remains are carried away systematically. It is very disturbing to see this bloody game going on without end, and I should feel better if America would abandon it in favor of a travel of a less dangerous nature. I'm thinking camels, or some kind of dirigible. A dirigible camels would be my vote. <laughs> but they seem years away from a truly safe, fully automatic car of our type, with the electronic protection shield. It, so Elon Musk is working on that, right? It's, it's part of the biofilters. Got it. While on the subject of fatality, it is with regret that I heard of the disintegration of Palta Vezik and his craft some days ago. Palta and I were boys together barely 300 Earth years ago on the Symphony Lake Plantation. Ah, the good old space plantation days, where the living was easy and the space cotton was fed into the space cotton gin to make space sweaters. Space plantation, and the living is easy. We went through sleep absorption education together for 20 years, and he was my dear friend. Palta's force field collapsed when he was escaping a fleet of aircraft, which were rising into the sky in pursuit. At an acceleration of some 5,000 miles an hour, his craft collided with air and inertia, and he and his saucer, were vaporized in a blinding flash and thunderous roar. Tonight at 11, air inertia, the hidden killer. This is, this is how Tunguska happened. <laughs> the radio commentators calmly informed the world that it was merely a large meteor burning itself up in the atmosphere. The stubborn refusal of Earthmen to accept our existence continually baffles me. Seriously, how many anal probings is this going to take? No, honestly, I want to know. I'm getting a little tired of doing it. Um, do we need to put you back through uh, anal probing uh, re-immersion therapy? Oh, back to the plantation days. From what I've heard these radio spokesmen say, Earthmen who believe in us seem to regard us with a sort of awe. They rightly consider us much farther advanced than themselves, but you should hear the outlandish descriptions some have given us. The only thing 
the only thing that's gotten it right is a song called Purple People Eaters, oddly enough. I have judged the people of Earth to be excitable and unpredictable. Therefore, I can understand the Federation's reluctance to have us make contact. Earthmen undoubtedly regard us as invaders, and would treat us as such, although they must realize we have shown no acts of aggression. Other than following us around and exploding in our atmosphere, of course. Hey, you over there, can I get you interested in an air inertia racing contest? (laughs) Vroom, vroom. (laughs) Nevertheless, there have been a few unfortunate instances that might tend to make them think we are belligerent. Namely, the Mantell case in 1948. Cal Ta'ar. Pilot of the involved craft, I understand, has been recalled to Yakar because of his mistake in permitting an earthcraft to venture into his force field, thereby destroying the alien craft and violating our strict orders to avoid any incidents with earthcraft. We call it the Prime Directive, but to be honest, we break it about every other episode. Uh, the Septagillionth Directive. <laughs> In spite of this obvious risk... It is my greatest anticipation to meet these earth folk face to face. Our observations have been from afar, and therefore lacking much that we could really know about these people. I'm sure there are things they could teach us. Like how to do the twist, or the peppermint twist, or the postman twist. And of course, there is much that we could do to make happier their own existence. Some day, I know... The Federation will give the word to land on Earth soil. Should I be one of those fortunate ones, I am ready. And if it costs me my life, I shall be satisfied to have first enjoyed making contact with other men who live so many light years from our own Yakar. Then we'll totally conquer their dumb dumb asses. When will this contact be, my friends? Today? Tomorrow? When? Hopefully not next Thursday. I, I've got that thing. Well, uh, Friday also. I, I'm going to go away for the weekend, so I was thinking of leaving early. So, you know what? Check my Outlook calendar. As he concluded the reading of his report, Mr. Goodnight's eyes reflected the relief he felt. It is reassuring, Doctor, isn't it? He asked huskily. Ah, the husky vocalizations that only the discovery of extraterrestrial life can bring. That's why uh, Carl Sagan was uh, so intoxicating. (laughs) I think so, Dr. Lowenthal replied. Even with my liberal translation, the non-aggressive attitude comes through continually. (laughs) This is the final (laughs) proof we needed as to the authenticity of the saucers, Goodnight remarked. This couldn't possibly be a hoax, could it? Mm. Not a chance. The substance of the original paper is completely alien in its composition and manufacture, and the language is undoubtedly the creation of minds farther advanced than our own. Clearly no Earthman could have come up with such rich dialogue and such hatred of rock and roll music. I give you the ultimatum. Jazz or nuclear disaster. (laughs) Mr. Goodnight sighed as if a great burden had been lifted from him. Well, uh, our part in this is closed, Dr. Lowenthal, he said. It is out of our hands. And now, Lowenthal prompted, 
It is the job of others to determine if the manuscript to be made is to be made public. This thing could be revolutionary in impact, Dr. Lowenthal. It could change the thinking and living of every person on Earth. Hey, Alan, did you see the paper today? They discovered aliens. Also, there's a sale at pennies. Yes, I was looking at the, the bra section. The scientists nodded in agreement. You know, Mr. Goodnight, he said after a meditative pause. I believe that Cal Potatakala would be a rather nice fellow to know. I should really like to meet him. I'd like to meet his tailor. Awoo. So would I, Goodnight replied, then added significantly with a sparkle of anticipation in his eyes. Who knows? Perhaps someday, Doctor. Not too distant. We shall. The end. Oof. The hairs on the back of the neck on that one. Oh, that was a that was a rousing tale. Um, I, uh, I I think there was a I think there was a lot to learn from that. Uh, what did you What did you think the moral of the story was, Alan? Here it is. If you're if you're on a a young planet whose civilization is just eking its way out of the industrial age into the nuclear age, and alien beings are coming to contact you. You definitely want to live in America. Go America yeah. 100%. Yeah. USA. USA. I mean, anywhere else, and well, they don't want to talk to you. I think I think the moral is more like you should totally believe everything you hear about flying saucers. It's all real. Watch the skies, people. Keep watching the skies. Art Bell is going to be a rich man. <laughs> I'm happy to have taken the reins on that story, but uh, I think we're about to wrap this one up. So thank you, audience, for listening, and tune in next time for another exciting Interrupted. Oh, and, and the Jungle Twist, and the Arkansas Twist, and the Spanish Twist, the Oliver Twist, Mr. Twister, the Soul Twist? Tales.